I'm Emma Katz, and this is Pandemic Sexuality, a podcast about how to cultivate intimacy during a plague. In our first season, we're learning from people whose lives were affected by the AIDS epidemic about how those experiences can inform the ways that we make connections during COVID-19. Today, I'm speaking to Travis Hunter Lull. Travis was born in the 80s, so he didn't experience the worst of the AIDS crisis firsthand. But when he came out as gay and started to be sexually active in the early 2000s, the threat of the disease still loomed large. I can't say when I first learned of AIDS or understood what it was. Some of it, of course, was probably learned through the internet, but I I imagine a larger part was probably through meeting and conversations with gay men a generation older than me hearing about their experiences and i'm sure i didn't have the the self-confidence to just ask them a bunch of questions and and really try to learn from them but just listening to them and then taking that back and google wasn't even a thing probably at that time uh (laughs) using search engines uh to to look up more information i do remember it was probably a similar time that i was starting to become sexually active uh, that I knew was a thing to be afraid of. And in some ways, I mean, this is very early 2000s, that two things were true, that I'd probably contract AIDS at some point in my lifetime, and that it was still something to be, a, a disease to be scared of. It definitely had an impact on my sex life in early years and relationships with people. It never got to a point where it ruined a relationship or was a major impact, but it scared me away from some people who were vulnerable enough to be open and honest with me. I can think back to one person, this is fast forward to probably the late 2000s, but I think back to one person who did tell me he was positive after merely a couple dates, but before we'd had sex. And I very consciously tried to work through that and be okay with it. And I don't think we had a strong future anyhow, but I know that that was part of what just, I couldn't, couldn't deal with it. Although it did scare him away from some connections initially, Travis's fatalism about contracting HIV also served as a powerful coping mechanism. By imagining his future as inevitable, he was released from constantly worrying and second guessing his actions. I'm not gonna be perpetually fearful. Not to say throw a ban into the wind and live a reckless life as a result, but I can't be scared of every single physical interaction with someone, with a sexual partner, right? Like, need to minimize risk as much as possible, but I can't let this fear rule my life and keep me from being intimate with people. I think it was powerful in that way. Um, and maybe not in the healthiest psychologically, but it was a way to cope. For people like Travis, with access to financial, educational, and healthcare resources, the past 20 years have dramatically changed the landscape of HIV-AIDS. Drugs now for the treatment of AIDS are highly effective to the point where somebody who is HIV positive, if they are on an appropriate regimen, is statistically safer than someone who doesn't know their status. Like the likelihood of them transmitting HIV to someone else is so low, even if there's no other protective measures. 
So that's like one starting point. Layer on the fact that there are pre-exposure prophylaxis drugs, namely Trovada and some generics coming out now, and trials of once-a-month injectables that are even more reliable because they don't require daily dosing, things like that. That there's just so many layers of protection and prevention beyond condoms and safe sex and things that are honestly far more fallible. Beyond the pharmaceutical advances, Travis credits the progress towards destigmatizing HIV with helping people to talk openly about their status and their risk profile. This has been an advantage when dealing with COVID-19, which has required all of us to become experts at risk tolerance conversations. I think that it's far easier for gay people to have conversations about risk where there aren't black and white, there's no binary, you're safe or you're not. It's all about risk tolerance, um, layers of protective measures, none of which are perfect or certain. Even not just talking about HIV, but STIs more broadly, there's far more conversancy talking about those things in the gay community. Like, when was the last time you were tested for STIs? How often do you have unprotected sex? All sorts of conversations are far more normalized. Not to say that we've normalized those conversations about sex, but we've normalized those conversations about risk in many ways. But I see so many people, straight people especially, who just are not used to or comfortable or familiar with having risk tolerance conversations where your behavior is, I wouldn't say up for judgment, but is a factor. April 2020, Matthew Rodriguez for TheBody.com. Humans are social creatures. We need each other to live. Our connections with other people, familial, romantic, friendly, sexual, sustain us. AIDS upended people's sexual networks, either through people dying, people feeling shame about their sexuality, or people abstaining from sex for fear of dying. This fear birthed texts like How to Have Sex in an Epidemic, one of the first texts to frankly discuss how gay men could have sex with one another and live. We live in a very different media landscape. In the time since the onset of COVID-19 and the reality of social isolation, I've seen a lot of helpful journalism about what it will mean to feel intimate with others and keep our sanity in a time when we are being told to keep our distance from one another. People have written about digital sex parties, how to have intimacy in a time of distance, and how to masturbate when you don't have the privilege of a locked door. We are all relearning how to keep sex alive, and we are leaning on each other for lessons. We must stay six feet away at the very moment when we need to fuck the pain away. During the worst periods of 2020, Travis stayed at home with his husband and kept social interactions to a minimum. I've been married for just over a year in a relationship with my husband for four to five years now. Don't tell him I couldn't count that on the fly. We've had an open relationship for quite some time. 
I wouldn't say we act on that a ton pre-COVID, but it certainly has shut that down significantly. There isn't a need and the risk is too high before you're even thinking about a conversation about sex. There's layers now. So that just hasn't been a thing for the better part of this year. But I also have a couple friends who are single and that's really hard to not just not have sex, but not date, like not see people other than a select few friends or family or whoever your chosen bubble is in the pandemic. I have so much empathy for them. It's its own risk equation, right? And its own conversation um, about what are your precautions? What's your risk tolerance? I feel very fortunate to, to not have to work through that right now. For Travis, one effect of the COVID-19 pandemic has been a deeper understanding of the trauma experienced by the older generation of gay men who mentored him when he was first coming out. There aren't any specific conversations that stand out in my mind, but I'd say some themes of just honestly not being able to relate. So many people watched their friends and their chosen family die around them. And in many cases, if they were gay men, they wonder, why not me? It really makes you reflect and take it seriously. What what we have is is a gift and special and precious, right? And we've learned that with, I mean, I scroll through Twitter and they're prominent folks on Twitter and they just talk about, my mom just died, my brother just died, my son just died, my daughter just died. It's crazy, it's heartbreaking. And I I feel like it just puts things into a perspective that so many of us have never been forced to think about. Thanks so much to Travis for speaking with me this week. Thank you to Matthew Rodriguez for his writings on the similarities and differences between COVID-19 and HIV AIDS. You can find his work at matthew-rodriguez.com and thebody.com. Our music is by Blue Dot Sessions. We'll be back in two weeks with more stories of pandemic sexuality. Thanks for listening.